electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. starts right now live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Seberg, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the Bitcoin bloodbath rages on. Bitcoin falling below $9,000 for the first time since November. But keep on hodling because a top crypto watcher says $20,000 is a sure thing. He'll be here to explain why he's so excited. But first, it is the Tech Earnings Super Bowl. One of the biggest nights of earnings season, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet all reporting earnings moments ago. Amazon soaring while Alphabet and Apple are both under some pressure here. Those conference calls are getting underway. We've got full team coverage. Triple threat, Gene Munster is manning the Apple and the Alphabet call. He's getting ready to jump on the Amazon call at 530. He's got three red phones there. Count them three. Top tech Chris Marone standing by to work the charts on these after hours moves. And that is where we start. Call it the battle of the tech titans. Amazon hitting all time highs. This after traders dump the stock into the close. Meantime, Alphabet and Apple pulling up uh, in the after hour session. So is Amazon the new king of tech guy? Well, I asked you a question. Who was the old king of tech? Right? I mean, it stands for, if they're the new ones, it stands the reason it there was the old been one. Apple, I mean, the queen, like queen, I mean, she's been queen since 1940-something, I guess, queen right? Queen Latifah. Right. So not Latifah, the one in England. Can we stay on track right. for one? Yes, no. I don't know what we're talking about anymore. Quite frankly, you could have made an argument that it's always been the king of tech. And here's the one thing that stands out. Of all the numbers we talk about, Amazon Web Services, I get it. This is what sticks out to me, and this is what we talk about all the time. Margins, operating margins, came in around 3.5%. think the street was closer to 2%. What does that mean? Once again, Amazon can turn that dial whenever they want, show profits of that magnitude, which is one of the reasons the moat still exists. Despite valuation, is it the new old king? It's the king. It is the king. My opinion. You think it's well, the king? Well, it's certainly showing signs of uh, rising to the throne, a for sure. I mean, especially versus what these other techs have, tech earnings have done. Not that the other tech earnings are terrible, but you look at something like Amazon, and you had that big sell-off today, a reversal as a trader. I love to see that. Not only that, now the street's starting to make up stuff like, hey, they're going to get into search, because then they're going to start beating Google. So Amazon has had this tailwind of they get, they get a pass for a lot of different things. Now people are starting to really gain on that momentum. So it is ascending to the throne for sure. We What's talked about you? this, uh, you know, we talked about this in the show a couple days ago. It's all about top line revenue growth. It's top line growth for Amazon right now. It's not about earnings. So at the bottom line is they are threading the needle between their investments and demand. And they're, they're, they're finding the sweet spot. So they're absolutely moving the needle from a revenue perspective. That's what people want to see. And they'll continue to do that. It looks like their guidance was basically decent for next year, right in the middle, uh, smack in the middle of the range. So it's going to be, I think, fine. You can buy this stock still. Yeah, look, the, the operating margin, as said here, I mean, people want to see this company become more profitable. I mean, effectively, that's what you want to look at. They beat most people anywhere from 50 to 200 basis points on operating margin to four and a half in North America. So they've been, I think they've been sitting 
on that throne for some time now. If you think about across tech, first of all, this is a cloud play. This is an e-commerce play. This is a disruption play. This is everything that people are buying tech for, and it includes services. So, you know, yeah. this is a company that I do think really is the one to beat. What's staggering about the move after hours here is this is a company that had done 50% since the last time we sat down here and questioned Guy whether they were the throne, sitting on the throne. Well, I mean, you know, you know, you know, oddly enough, they sell things to help you if you're sitting on the throne too long. But I digress. And you know uh, what? You Wilford, sure did. A very bad digression. No, Wilford, Wilford Frost, who does a show at 5 a.m., he just texted me. Yeah. February 1952 is when Queen Elizabeth. Thank you, Wilf, who's watching right 52. now. Wow. And, and to okay. Tim's point, the fact that they can turn the dial on operating margins, both North America yep. and internationally, suggests that there's still runway left for the stock. We all knew about the AWS store. AWS, by the way, beating consensus estimates for yep. the quarter. But how about Alexa? This is what Jeff Bezos says. 2017 projections for Alexa were very optimistic. We have far exceeded them. We don't see uh, positive surprises of this magnitude very often. Expect us to double down. I mean, that is an entire lever that we haven't even really factored in when it comes to the Amazon story that Alexa is going to right. be this powerhouse. Which is what analysts are starting to pick up on but haven't, and that's the catalyst. I mean, I don't get it. I do not want a listening device in my house, but everybody else seems to like them, so go for it, and I do think that's another growth area Look, for Amazon. We, we talked about this six months ago in a Prime membership sur survey that we did. We talked about Alexa and the penetration it had. Superior, and they're continuing to grow that. But look in the after hours of Google. You see what Google did in the after hours? It's starting to pop here a little bit. They're talking about their cloud revenue. Their cloud is, revenue is growing faster than Amazon right now. So look at that. Take a look at Google. This thing's turned around significantly. It's definitely one to watch. Where is Amazon right now? Where is Amazon right now? Pull it up. It's in Seattle. Can you, BK? Well, I'm just saying. 1390, 1472 in the after hours. 1390 was a close. It was a close. 1472 in the after hours sessions of 6%. Okay, so at 1472, do we think split for Amazon? Do we think split so it could be included in the Dow to replace General Electric? Uh, that's a lot of ifs in there. Yeah. I mean, let's let's take them one at a time. I mean, I, I think on a share split, um, first of all, why do they have to split their shares? I mean, it, it's not as if these guys feel the need to necessarily become well, more retail friendly. They want it to be included in the Dow. They've got to. Well, yeah. I, I'm, I, this is a company that's performing on the playing field and I think seems to be less concerned about capital markets calisthenics. So um, we, we, we do know that even though there is no reason for it fundamentally, if a stock splits, there's a decent chance with a name like this, with this popularity, you will probably see another boost. Apple split? Apple split. I don't see any reason. I mean, some companies that have gone to the Dow historically, that's not necessarily been a good thing. I mean, we can have different conversations sure. about many different companies. And my sense is Mr. Bezos, for all the things that he wants in this world, being a Dow member is probably not on the top of his list. So I would suggest I don't see a split coming, which means probably have one announced on Monday. We're going to <laughs> go deeper into all three of these earnings reports. But right now, would you rather rather Seberg? Apple, Amazon, or Alphabet? Oof, um, that's tough. I think I definitely it would be Amazon. And, and granted, this is before the conference calls, no so question. you know we can change our minds by the end of the hour, but for now. Right, I, I'd say um, uh, my Amazon, number one, no question. Google, I'd say number two. Tim? Google. Uh, I mean, you know, only because Apple's had, excuse me, Amazon has had a move that we talked about. Look, yesterday it was trading at a 94 RSI. This is for, even for Amazon, this was staggering. Um, it worked some of that off today. Uh, I still think the stock is way overbought here, even though uh, everything they've reported today is certainly worthy. What do you think? Oh, me? Yeah. So, you know what? You. For a trade, and by a trade, I mean the next couple days, I think that you buy Amazon. Really? If you want a longer-term type of thing, though, Apple sets up really well here against 165. To me, that's kind of the slower mover. Amazon, you buy it here for everybody who sold it today, and now we're going, oh, man, i got to buy it back.
The numbers in Google or Alphabet were disappointing, but the price action, especially if we open unchanged tomorrow or slightly higher, suggests that valuation-wise, Google Alphabet is the most interesting one. I'm with hashtag smooth over there. All right, let's settle this here with the charts. Chris Verone of Strategus is at the Plasma for an instant tech earnings analysis. Who is the king, Chris, and which looks like the best buy right now? Well, it's a great question. Certainly a huge number this evening from Amazon. 1472 gets us roughly back to the old highs, but I want to put something in context here. When we look at the longer-term trend, it's been fairly orderly over the last, let's go back to the Amazon chart here for a minute. It's been fairly orderly uh, over the last number, uh, really, of quarters. And I think the move most recently has gotten a little bit parabolic. So when we look at the move after hours in an Amazon, we think it's actually an opportunity to perhaps pare down uh, some risk. When we go to Apple, the other uh, uh, of the really uh, big important ones here, flat after hours, frankly, after a number that is being perceived as not that great. When we look at the longer term picture, we actually think Apple looks more timely. It's already come back in right at the 200. We think this is a decent area to add some exposure. And then lastly, Alphabet off the lows from where it was just 10 or 15 minutes ago. Again, we put this in context of the bigger picture. Again, another orderly advance back to a good level near the 50. We think you buy Alphabet, we think you buy Apple, and you're a little bit careful with Amazon here. Careful with the holder of the throne, or the yeah. occupant of the throne, I should say. Like should, we invite, off the throne. should we invite Chris over? Yeah. Okay, yeah. fine. Let's come on over, Chris. <laughs> Karen will bring the chair in. Thank you, Karen. You doing? Welcome, sir. Thank you. Um, so at what level does Amazon start looking interesting? <sighs> Listen, I think when we look at Amazon, even the last four or five years, every single year, there's a drawdown at some point. Yeah. I don't think it's out of the question, given the performance of the stock, really over the last 12 weeks, 16 weeks, that you get some type of negative response uh, over the next several days. So I would just be a little bit careful here. There's no question it remains one of the great trends we've ever seen, but it doesn't mean it can't take a rest, particularly when the broader market seems a little bit tired here. This is four days in a row that the S&P has closed on the lows uh, of the day. So just be a little bit patient here before you get back into that one. Does the same hold true for the NASDAQ, and does what we saw in the after-hour session or what we're seeing change your view of where the NASDAQ goes? Well, what's curious here about big tech in general, believe it or not, tech has actually done okay when rates have gone up. Look at 2013 when we had the taper tantrum. Tech actually outperformed. Same thing in 2016, post-election, rates went up, tech actually worked. So I'm not sure the narrative that higher rates is bad for tech is necessarily as true, especially in context of the last two, three, four years. So, Chris, I, I was talking about buying Amazon for a trade, uh, sure. potentially a, a blow-off. What's your thoughts on kind of a, a blow-off top? If we get through yesterday's high or the high of the year, uh, do then all these new buyers say, oh, man, i got to get into it? You know, I think the thing with a blow-off, it almost means you need retail there. And I'm not sure with a stock that has a notional price value of $1,475, you're going to get a lot of retail involvement at this point. So I'm not sure the blow-off argument is necessarily how we want to approach Amazon here. I think, frankly, that's more likely if they split. Um, so we'll see uh, if that happens or not. Are you encouraged, if you're looking to buy the triple Qs, yeah. uh, which have performed fine, um, obviously relative even to the S&P, but in a world where Apple is 11 to 12 percent of that and is underperformed. Is this a good sign or a bad sign? I think it's a pretty decent sign. Remember, there are other stocks in this index. Intel acts fantastic. Yep. Oracle acts fantastic. So this isn't just three names. Granted, they're three important stocks, but there's other avenues to make money in this sector. Intel, Oracle, two very good ones here. Can we back up to Amazon and Please. the notion of the split? And you mentioned the retail investor. Yeah. If the stock had split, 
but and we saw the same exact chart, which it basically would be. Would you? Would your analysis have a different conclusion? I think you could lend towards that direction. Remember, if you look at the entire S and P 500 right now, the notional price of the stock has never been higher. Right. So we have a tough time buying the argument that a lot of retail money has made its way in here yet. I think you're probably going to have to see, see some stock splits before that's the base case. Chris, thank you for your Always analysis. Always a pleasure. Thank Chris you. Chris Verone, Strategus. The, other, the other dynamic here that Chris is referring to, I mean, think of all the passive money that owns these stocks through, yeah. through the SPY. And, and that's how a lot of money is actually being allocated into these. And that's one of the reasons why people would make an argument that you have to be fearful uh, of when you see a market turnaround that these big heavyweights have been supported by a backstop of passive money. But, you know, right now, um, I think over the last couple of days, we've started to digest whether higher rates are going to be uh, the kind of headwind for equity markets. The earnings are giving people reasons and stick around. I mean, Tim makes a good point in terms of, I mean, it's not just the SPY, obviously, the Qs, yeah. the momentum ETF. I mean, right. there's so much overlap in ETF land in terms yeah. of the holders of these stocks. What right. is that? And that's, Isn't that a good thing? It's a very good thing. Yeah, it's going to keep, it'll keep the, you know, support mechanism sort of under these names as long as you continue to see large cap tech, you know, move in that direction. I, you know, I look at Amazon and I say, the, the Q1 guide, the Q1 top line guide was, you know, right smack in the middle of sort of, you know, the they gave a range where the street is right smack in the middle. I wish it were a little bit higher. My guess is it's a little bit, you know, uh, sandbagged, if you will. So it could be it could be an interesting trade tomorrow. All right. Still ahead, we will continue to be uh, all over the earnings action this hour, hearing from the C-suite of some of the biggest market movers. We'll bring all of that to you straight ahead. Plus, are you getting wrecked today? Bitcoin is sinking, but uh, Rod Neuner says just hodling on. Just hodl on, sorry. Huh? Yeah. It's hard to sort of make a real, like, conjugate a fake word. No, those are real words. You're doing a great job. Oh, all right, anyway. The cryptocurrency is about to double, he says. He'll explain why he's still a Bitcoin believer. Later, it's been a wild week for stocks, and something just happened that could send shockwaves through the market. We'll explain what that is and what it means for your money. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Bitcoin bloodbath continues as the cryptocurrency collapses through a critical level. How bad could the carnage get? Our Bob Pisani is at the NYSE with the latest. Hi, Bob. Oh, the charts are ugly, Melissa. It was another rough day for Bitcoin, which has gone on a complete round trip from a little over 9,000 at the end of November to 20,000 in mid-December. Remember that? And all the way back down to a little over 9,000. This is what technicians call a head and shoulders top, and it's a very negative pattern. It's now below its 50, 100, and 200-day moving averages. And regulatory risk, as you know, has been a major issue for all of the cryptos. So... Today, the traders focus on comments from India Finance Minister Aaron Jaitley, who said the government does not consider cryptocurrencies legal tender or coin and will take all measures to eliminate use of these crypto assets in financing illegitimate activities or as part of the payment system. Now, many misinterpreted this statement as implying there would be an outright ban on cryptocurrencies or trading, but that's not really the case. Indeed, Jaitley went on in his speech to say the government will explore use of blockchain technology proactively for ushering in the digital economy. That's hardly a ban. Finally, Bitcoin's drop has been so precipitous, it's down 35% this year alone, 55% from the December high. Some are now speculating other cryptocurrencies could surpass Bitcoin's market cap, which is currently down to just $154 billion. Ethereum, for example, while down in the last couple of days, is up more than 40% this year, with a market cap now of $100 billion. That's roughly two-thirds the value of Bitcoin. Now, Ripple is a distant third at $38 billion. Ripple also down nearly 40% so far this year.
Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you, Bob. Bob Pisani at the NYSE. And if Ethereum does overtake Bitcoin in terms of market cap, some in the crypto world are referring to that as the flippening. This is the dawning of the age of So let's play a little Would You Rather here. Bitcoin or Ethereum, we turn to our uh, resident expert, BK. So in general, if I had to close my eyes and buy one coin for the next year, it would likely be Ethereum. There's, there's so much development going on that, and that's ultimately what these, uh, where the value comes of this. But there's thousands and thousands of the smartest minds in the world working to build projects on top of Ethereum. Now, I know Bitcoin is, has, has some stuff going on as well. Rootstock and a Lightning Network, there is a catalyst there. But if close your eyes, buy one coin, it's Ethereum. Tim? Yeah, You're look, in Ethereum. Uh, Ethereum's yeah. the only one I own. And again, it's kind of in, in, a, in a simplistic way, it's proof of concept because you are seeing all this development going on. Um, you know, what we've heard all along about Bitcoin is at least that, yes, there's, there is a limited supply out there. There is a scarcity value, but that there's also, um, from a technology perspective, there are uh, either more complex or better use cases out there. So um, that's been my call on Ethereum. Um, I do think if you look at the charts, uh, and you look at what's been happening to Bitcoin. I mean, today was an important day just for people that look at technicals because it sliced right through that 100-day. Um, it has been respecting certain levels along the way, and today it did not. All right. Well, our next guest bought his first Bitcoin in June 2013. He's been along for a lot of price swings, sees a cryptocurrency flying high to 20000 by year-end. Let's welcome Ron Neuer, the founder of OnChain Capital, host of CNBC Africa's Crypto Trader, the world's first and I think only cryptocurrency show, well, besides what we try and do every day with that's money. Uh, Ron, great to have you with us. Well, um, nice so, to be here. Thank but you. But the road to 20,000 is not going to be an easy one. Yeah, but Bitcoin goes up and Bitcoin goes down and Bitcoin goes up and down very quickly. If you recall, a few months ago, we were sitting right here and Bitcoin was under $8,000 and it shot up to $20,000 in less than two weeks. So this is nothing new. We've seen Bitcoin go up and we've seen Bitcoin go down. We've seen it go down 50% at a time, but it's quite a resilient currency, commodity, asset that just keeps going up afterwards. But you're saying we could see Bitcoin bottom around 7,500. How do you come up with that level? So I'm thinking around $8,000 is probably near the bottom. Maybe it'll go down to $7,500. But I can't see it going much under that because there is a big uptake and there's a lot of retail money that's gone into Bitcoin. All right. Well, we played Would You Rather with BK here. We'll play with you. Bitcoin or Ethereum? I want to say that BK has changed his tune because I asked him not so long ago and he said he wanted to buy Bitcoin. So I would, I would definitely be buying Ethereum now. Um, again, for the, the reasons that they are the smartest people in the world, all developing on Ethereum. I went to their developers conference in Cancun earlier this year. There were 2,500 of the smartest people in the world, the smartest people I've ever seen, working and developing on the Ethereum protocol. Now, Bitcoin has one or two use cases at max. It's either a currency or a store of value, depending on which school of thought you go to. But Ethereum is a platform for multiple, multiple uses. You can do hedging, betting, voting, sports, etc., all on the Ethereum network. So to me, Ethereum is like, is like the big network. And Bitcoin has two use cases. In terms of uh, the use of a cryptocurrency as an actual replacement for money. I mean, in, you come from South Africa. That's your home. And in Africa, there are plenty of use cases for a cryptocurrency because of the, the vast numbers of people who are unbanked, um, the instability of some currencies in various countries. So there is real use case. So in terms of the cryptocurrency that would be used for money, 
what would that be? Would it be Bitcoin or would it be something else, Bitcoin Cash or some other crypto out there? Currently, where Bitcoin is, Bitcoin is not ready to be a currency. It's not fast enough. It can't scale enough. The blocks are too small. They clear themselves every 10 minutes. So Bitcoin currently is not a currency. And I think that there are other blockchains and other applications that have characteristics that are much more suitable to be a currency, to clear Such quicker. As? Well, for one, Digibyte, for example, clears every 15 seconds. Litecoin has uh, much faster clearances. But none of the blockchains today are ready for the scale of, of real-world currency transactions. So why does this have yeah. a base at $7,500, $8,000 that you feel pretty well, comfortable yeah. with? Why is this going to hold ground? Nothing I've heard so far tells me it's going to hold ground. Because I see Bitcoin more as a store of value. I see Bitcoin more as a digital gold as opposed to a, as opposed to a currency. Mm -hmm. Now, if you ask me, would I hold gold at $1,300 an ounce or would I hold the Bitcoin at $7,000? I'd hold, I'd hold Bitcoin for sure. Why? If I want to move a block of gold, I need to get a track in it. If I want to move a Bitcoin, right. it's just phone to phone. So for me, I see Bitcoin as the digital gold. It's a digital store of value, and I think people are adopting it as that. But let me ask you a question on that. The digital gold aspect, if I get the scarcity value of it, but there's the adoption sort of portion that, you know, in the valuation metric that people are, are looking at and saying that needs to occur for this to really take off. So how can you look at it and say just digital gold or the scarcity value is going to drive the price or support the price when you don't have adoption yet? We don't have adoption because it's been quite difficult to open an account and to start buying. But if you look, there's real-world development. So Robinhood, Robinhood has now promised free Bitcoin trading. Starting today, in fact. So it, started, right? it started today, and I was watching the volumes earlier, and the volumes went through the yeah. roof. Now, when you see things like that, we're making it easier for the retail investor to start buying Bitcoin. Let's be honest. This cryptocurrency market is, is a year old. So yes, Bitcoin started in 2008, but it's only last year when Ethereum came onto the scene that this cryptocurrency market became retail. And so only for one year have consumers been able to start buying. And it's quite difficult. If you want to buy, you've got to, do, you've got to find an exchange. The exchange must accept currency in your country to get fiat currency into the exchange. That's quite difficult when you do... To trade Bitcoin is not as easy as to trade as to trade stocks. You can't phone a broker to say to the broker, hey, broker, please buy Bitcoin for me. I think 2018 is the year where the, the mechanisms to allow retail consumers to get into cryptocurrencies start to open themselves up. And that does what to the price? Does it well, mean that the price is more volatile or does that mean that the price is more stable? I think the price will become more stable. I think the volatility came with the, when there was not enough buyers and not enough sellers and the price went like that. But as we, see, as we saw with Bitcoin, as compared to the other cryptocurrencies, when people started to buy, Bitcoin became much more stable. And the rest of the cryptocurrencies where people couldn't buy them still had that volatility. Mm -hmm. So you take the last three months or four months, Bitcoin was quite stable relative to the rest of the market. You look at the, the lower currencies, they were going up 50 and 60% a day and going down 50 and 60% a day. Right. So I think that that will make the, the, the price much more stable and less volatility. Brand, great to have you here. Thank Thanks you. for visiting. Hope to see you again. Come back when you're in this neck of the woods. <laughs> Thank you. Rand Neuner um, of CNBC Africa, hosting yeah. the only cryptocurrency show. So you should check that out. It's online. Great, great show. Yeah. A lot of good insight on that. A lot of, lot of uh, big players in the crypto scene. So, uh, you know, I would definitely...
check it out. But in, ter in terms of the retail investor coming in, it seems like the retail investor really likes smaller coins. Well, that has been the trend, right? So, right. But here's the thing is that Bitcoin still is that on-ramp, as Rand was mentioning, right? The first thing you do when you're buying into crypto is you buy, you buy Bitcoin. Then you take that Bitcoin, you transfer it out, and you start buying the other coins. So retail likes coins that are under $5 because they think they can buy more. It's the same discussion we it's had lots, when we were talking yeah. about Amazon, right? Oh, people don't want to buy it because it's $1,400. So people like those smaller coins. That's been a phenomenon. But as more money comes into the system, as more retail comes in and institutional as well, you're going to see dispersion among these coins, and it's going to look more like a regular asset class that we know, like in the stock market. All right. Still ahead, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, all on the move in the after-hour session. Apple's now moving higher. We'll tell you what just happened on that call that sent the stock up. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Nope, it's just interest rates. And they are surging higher. And it could be the biggest risk to the rally. We'll tell you how to protect yourself. Plus, here's what it feels like to be a Bitcoin investor. But noted Bitcoin bug, Ren Noyer, says something just happened that may have signaled a bottom. He'll tell us what that is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bond yields surging around the globe, and it could be signaling an end to the great bond bull market run. For more, let's go to the man who never runs out of steam, Dom Chu, back at headquarters. Well, Hi, Dom. Melissa, I may not have run out of steam just yet, but the great bond bull market may have. Okay, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but for more than a few folks, the rising interest rate bandwagon is one that they're hopping on, perhaps for good reason. The world's biggest central bank is on a path toward rate normalization, or the fancy way of saying the Fed is likely going to start its campaign to gradually raise interest rates in the coming months and years. It's arguably one of the biggest driving forces behind that steady move higher in interest rates here on the home front. You couple that with expectations for a pickup in inflation and, of course, economic growth, and that's pretty bearish for bonds. Yields on U.S. 10 years fell as low as around 2.03 percent in early September. We hit a high of around 2.78% today, so nearly around 75 basis points in just under five months. But it isn't just here. Earlier this week, we saw German five-year sovereign bonds rise and actually go positive for the first time since December of 2015. Those yields positive is a big deal. Traders are wondering whether the European Central Bank will start its own path towards normalizing rates soon and getting out of the business of unconventional monetary policy. And yields on Japanese government bonds on the rise, too, with 10-year JGBs yielding around nine basis points. So, Melissa, will these higher rates become attractive enough for big investors and, of course, those central banks? Back over to you. All right. Thanks a lot, Dom. So could this global rate rise be significant? bad news for stocks. We got the jobs report tomorrow. We had the Atlanta Fed revising higher their Q1 GDP yeah. number to 5.4 percent. That's out of hand. And, yeah. and, and with Maybe a 275 gonna... tenure and, and, and a Fed that yesterday, say what you want about yesterday's Fed meeting. I don't think it was uneventful. I, I think they, they let you know that they see inflation. Um, and, and look, we have a meeting next month where they're going to go. It's going to be Powell's first one. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty. Um, last night, you had PMIs around the world. Japan is at multi-year highs on their manufacturing. China's private survey, so the one that you're supposed to count on and trust, actually held serve at its highest level in, in multiple years. We're, we're seeing global growth, folks. And, and Look at how emerging markets responded. Look at how high yield is responding. They don't like it at first blush. And just to be clear, it's been a, kind of a tough couple of days in the U.S., but it's been a really tough couple of days in emerging markets in China, uh, and despite all this good stuff on the economy. It's also been a tough, tough couple of days in Germany. I mean, the DAX was down, I think, a percent and a half last night. It's gone from 13.5 or so down to 13,000 in a pretty precipitous fashion. So to, to Tim's point, in the short term at least, Markets don't seem to be liking these interest rates. And one other thing, I mean, you're talking about a 30-year yield now 
We mentioned it today. Three percent. Three percent. Haven't seen that one in quite some time. You're talking about you know yield spreads and yield curves. Tens, thirties are now at levels we probably haven't seen in quite some time. So I'm not sure what it means, but I, it, you know, at some point we'll be talking about the yield curve again. What do you think? Well, it it's the speed, right? I mean, listen, a, a two percent, two point seven five percent ten year. If you just take a, a step back, that's really not that big of a deal. But what is a big a deal is how fast they've come up. And then the question is, is, are they ahead of the economy or behind the economy? And if they're behind the economy, as the Atlanta Fed survey and the Fed maybe kind of hinted, then perhaps you're looking at even a faster increase. We know most strategists are saying somewhere around 3%. They'll start to revise their earnings or their S&P earnings. I think people are getting ahead of it a little bit. Uh, I don't think it's panic time, but without question, bond yields are the uh, Achilles heel of the equity market. If we have a hot, hot, hot jobs number tomorrow, yeah. meaning hot, hotter, higher than expected, what happens to stocks? Well, look, I, I don't believe you're going to see the yield go to 3% in a straight line. I mean, we've moved quickly. I get it. And I say to yourself, a lot of that is around positioning, right? Positioning into the 2018 sort of issuance calendar. People were underweight. There was positioning de-risking, if you will, We just need the move in the year. tenure that happened in the past two and a half weeks to happen again yeah, to get to well, 3%. I think, but, we're, I think we've established, a, you know, sort of a cyclical bottom, or sort of, you know, within the yields, but I don't think we're going to run way up I mean, to 3% think about, immediately. Think about this, though, David. We, they're they're going to double their issuance next year from where it was last year. You've got a, you've got a right. Treasury Secretary who maybe he's but, going back on it, but, I mean, they're talking we, down the U.S. currency. There's import price inflation, and you have a dynamic here where they threw gasoline on the fire of an economy that was already growing. With tax reform, three percent. Right. I'm sorry? With tax reform, With tax reform. And now we're talking about some, some type of a fiscal policy on infrastructure. Look, I, I just think that markets will be very uncomfortable if rates move. And Brian said, you're right. It's, so it's if hot jobs market this. tomorrow, yes. market pressure. In fact, yeah. bad yeah. news tomorrow yeah. is good news yeah. for the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree with that. It's all about how fast these rates move. One trader's betting the rise in yields is spelling trouble for one hot safety trade. So let's get to Mike Coe here in New York City. He's all over the place. Oh, I saw him in New Jersey. Where he was is, here. Where is where Waldo in the world is or Mike Coe, Coe in this case? <laughs> there you are. Here he is. Uh, XLP, which is the ETF that tracks the staple sector. We saw double the average put volume in that space today. And the trade that we saw was actually an interesting ratio put spread. The March 57 54 put spread. They bought 6,000 of the 57s, sold 9,000 of the 54s, spent equivalent of about 45 cents. They're making a bearish bet that XLP could drop about 5% or so, maybe a little bit more in the course of the next six weeks. That may not sound like a lot, but actually this is a really stable sector, and that's actually going to be testing the 52-week lows if it gets there. All right. Thanks, Mike. For more options, action check at the full show tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. And that's here at the NASDAQ. <laughs> Still ahead, it's the Super Bowl of tech earnings here on Fast Money tonight. Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, all on the moves in the after-hour session. Apple seeing a huge reversal just in the last few minutes. Gene Munster's all fired up. He's standing by with not one, not two, but three red phones. He's going to bring us all the latest headlines, tell us what was just said on the call, the Apple call that's got investors hitting the buy button. Much more Fast Money on this very busy night. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Mattel. Courtney Reagan's in the newsroom with more. Court. Hi there. Good evening, Melissa. So some trouble in Toyland. Michelle's, Mattel's shares, excuse me, down after hours after missing on revenue, reporting an unexpected loss for this all-important holiday quarter. The toy maker attributes weak North American sales to tighter retailer inventory management, that Toys R Us bankruptcy, and as well as certain just underperforming brands in general. So of the company's four businesses, the largest Mattel brand that did grow, but just slightly, within that business's bar 
Barbie. And Barbie sales improved 9% over last year, showing some signs of continued improvement. The second largest business, the Fisher Price Group, that saw sales fall 12%. CEO Margot Geodis calls out some online issues, including shipping costs for reordering late in the season. That hurt Fisher Price, particularly here in North America. American Girl sales down 23%. The CEO says she's optimistic about stabilizing revenue this year, expects to improve profitability as it begins to work through the transformation. Nothing yet, though, on the call addressing any speculation about a deal with rival Hasbro. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Courtney, thank you. Uh, Tim Seymour, you're a holder of Mattel. Yes, this, this company has taken me from first place to the land of misfit toys mm -hmm. in the Power yes. On stock draft. Uh -huh. But, I mean, yeah. Mattel's... Look, the, the problems keep mounting. Bottom line is, if you heard the CEO, they're almost looking at 2018 as a clean slate. So, yes, they've, they've told you how bad it is, and frankly, it has been bad. Barbie up 9%, great. Fisher Price down 12 Toys R Us bankruptcy, a big deal. These guys need to get digital. They're slowly doing it. It's not going to happen overnight. All right, still ahead. Check out Apple seeing a big reversal in the after-hour session. The stock's now up by about 3%. We'll tell you what was just said on the call that sparked this rally. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tech Titans, Alphabet, Apple, and Amazon all reporting earnings after the bell. Who better to break down the after-hours moves than our formidable big tech earnings team? Aditi Roy has been all over the Alphabet call in San Francisco. Josh Lipton's in the thick of the action at Apple's Cupertino campus. We'll also get to Deirdre Bosa on Amazon. But first, let's get the scoop on Alphabet from Aditi. Take it away. Hi, Melissa. I have been listening in on the call, and they've been giving updates on their biggest bets in Google Cloud, YouTube, and hardware. On cloud, the company announced it's become a $1 billion per quarter business. Alphabet also reporting that it's seeing growing traction with customers like Bed Bath & Beyond and Keller Williams. On YouTube, the company reports 1.5 billion viewers per month. Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai also talked a little bit about the company's investment in AI and the progress it's seeing with Google Voice and devices like Google Home. We're very excited by voice. Uh, you know, we obviously uh, see it being adopted strongly uh, in countries like India. It's actually a significant part of uh, just mobile search queries in general. And, you know, things like Google Assistant and doing Google Home kind of really accelerates the trend. Right before the earnings call, I also talked to company CFO Ruth Porat. I asked her about cash repatriation and whether we can expect to hear an announcement from the company on it. She told me while the repatriation tax does provide a lot of flexibility, but that is more of a legal status than a change of investments. The company also announcing that the new tax plan resulted in an additional tax expense of $9.9 billion this quarter. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Aditi Roy in San Francisco. Let's trade this. Um, I'll go to you, Tim since you liked Alphabet the most out of the earnings uh, tonight. Yeah, I, I think the, the valuation is really still the most defendable, and I think the growth at YouTube is really exciting. And I, I think you know it still comes back to what's going on with TAC and the expense attached to that, but the trends are actually pretty positive. Uh, I think if you think about their foray into you know, buying HTC in the smartphone space, that's something that people are a little bit worried about on search and, and their relationship with Apple seems to be getting worse. But but bottom line here is everything this company continues to do, especially in the broader projects in, 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 in the Google sites, continues to grow. And these are untapped businesses that I think offer a lot of optionality. You know, if you if you crisscross the earnings reports, I mean, from Amazon, we're hearing about strong demand for Alexa. Google has Google Home. Yesterday, Microsoft talk about, talked about their own uh, cloud services and how they're adding... Azure. 
Azure, exactly. I'm glad that you remember that, uh, how they're adding uh, machine learning as well as data analysis to compete. We heard that also from Amazon tonight. They beat expectation. I mean, if you sort of crisscross, is there something about Google's report that's the reason why the stock is down? That's missing those elements that you just talked about. I think if there's one thing that's missing, in my opinion, is operating margins were disappointing. Where other companies seem to be doing better margin-wise, this quarter disappointed. That's the one thing I would take away. Then the fact that they actually missed both on revenue and EPS. However, then to Tim's point, paid clicks was a better number. So I think you got enough for everybody. And it all, to me, comes down to valuation and how big the moat is. Valuation is compelling and they still have that moat. Yeah, I mean, I think the cloud, you know, a billion dollars a quarter is a big number. I and mean, that's growing faster than Azure. That cloud business is growing fast, faster than AWS. I look at that and say that's partially one of the reasons. I think it's why a they, billion this quarter. A billion a quarter. Yeah, because Amazon's five and change. Right. Well, that's billion. probably why the stock turned in after hours. I mean, that's a big number. So but also positive. the stock, the stock ended these numbers was only just behind Amazon. We talked about Amazon's move into numbers, but Google's move was almost as stratospheric. This company absolutely outperformed the rest of the pack. That's what's going on now. Let's get to Apple now. The stock is mentioning a big reversal after hours. Josh Lipton's at Apple headquarters with more. Josh. Melissa, Apple CEO Tim Cook starting off the call talking about that iPhone franchise, the performance of iPhone 10 specifically. Take a listen. iPhone 10 was the best-selling smartphone in the world in the December quarter, according to Canalis, and it has been our top-selling phone every week since it launched iPhone 8 and iPhone 8 Plus rounded out the top three iPhones in the quarter. In fact, revenue for our newly launched iPhones was the highest of any lineup in our history. Uh, Melissa, I also did have the chance to speak briefly with Tim Cook. You know, I asked him how he thinks about the iPhone 10. Is it really a, a mainstream product or at that price point more of a niche product? Tim Cook telling me you don't become the top-selling smartphone in the world by being a niche product. We would like it to be for everyone. A couple other quick data points from the call. Um, I'd point out, Melissa, you know, Apple Watch, they said, had the best quarter ever, up 50%. Interestingly, the wearables uh, product line, so that's Watch plus AirPods, up 70%. They say that was the second biggest revenue contributor after the iPhone. And that cash pile, $285 billion, 269 of that overseas. What are they going to do with that money? CFO Luca Maestri saying on the call they'll provide an update to their capital allocation program when they next report results for that March quarter. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thanks a lot. I'm Josh just Lipton. reading something on, can I just really quickly interject? I'm reading something sure. on Twitter here. Uh, Tim Cook just announced they're going to, the new phone after the X mm -hmm. or the 10, Yes. they're calling it, they're the going to call it the Magnum PI phone. And they asked Tom Selleck if he was interested <laughs> and then Tom said no. So what Josh Lipton is now the guy that I'm surprised Josh doesn't hear about this. <laughs> You're going to be the face of the new phone. I mean, look at that guy. I mean, that, that is beard a, is fierce. Him, what I tell you what, you put a Detroit done. Tiger hat on him and he oh, is man. Magnum PI. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Josh. <laughs> what would tech earnings be? Our gratuitous Magnum PI music. Love what would it. tech earnings be without a friend, Gene Munster? Well, Gene is right here. He's had his hands full all night. Um, you can put down those three Thank red phones right now. Uh, so let's talk Apple's quarter. What stood out to you? Well, just big picture is they missed the iPhone number. Now, the good thing is investors were bracing for this over the past few weeks. So stocks had traded down 6%. But the reversal in the call is a really strong message from Tim Cook, that this is not about any given iPhone number in a quarter. What he's really emphasizing is the install base. So they gave away a number that they rarely give out, which was the active hardware base, 
1.3 billion users, up 30% over the last two years. But the stock really started moving in the aftermarket when he announced that 58% growth in paid subs. Those are the people buying the subscription revenue. And I think what you're seeing is that really means that their services segment, which is about 15% of the revenue, that growing, the, the number of people using that growing at 58%, well, the overall growth in that segment is 20%. That, that's, that difference there means that the growth is going to continue for a long time. They're essentially signing a lot of people up. So I think you're seeing this natural handoff between people who have traded Apple stock over the past year in anticipation of this cycle for investors who are long-term believers in this platform. And just one final uh, uh, point, if you've been paying close attention over the last couple of days, is 1.3 billion active Apple hardware monthly users is very similar to Facebook at 1.4 billion uh, daily active users. So um, at what point, since the services number was so surprising to you in terms of its strength, at what point do we see that moving the needle for total revenues as opposed to just us calling it an iPhone company? Well, we have a model that goes out 10 years, and in 10 years, it's going to be somewhere between 25 and 30% of revenue, so it's going to take a long time. But the profitability piece, this is close to a 65% gross margin business when their overall gross margin is 38%. So you could see the impact on earnings, and to put all this together, you put all that earnings picture together, you think about a $14 earnings number for fiscal 19, a 15 multiple on it gets you to 25% upside. Now, we're not saying that's what the stock is going to do, but just to give you some perspective is the gross margin on services is really important to the stock. Yeah, Gene Davis here. So question, I mean, that is a very important statement you just made because you look at the gross margin projections that the, most of the sell side has essentially, um, you know, for going out several years, they really don't look at a ramp in gross margins, a significant ramp at all. If that does occur, this could really lead to 2019, you know, so an earnings path that, that could really, you know, take, take a lot of the uh, weight off the iPhone, you know, expectations. Investors and analysts, are, as a former analyst, always nervous about putting in a higher gross margin number on a hardware business. And so the proof is going to be when these numbers start to come out. And I think that will be a surprise to investors when that actually happens. You know, Gene, I have a question in terms of um, margins. Margins were basically, what, flat in line with estimates here. When Tim Cook says that the iPhone 10 is the number one selling, best-selling iPhone week after week in the quarter, what does he mean by that? Does he mean by total dollar amount? Because wouldn't that move the margins? Well, uh, two things. Number one, he means by their whole family. So they've got a okay. family of essentially four phones and variations of it. So to be the number one selling phone, it probably means that 30 or 35 percent of the total units are iPhone. But keep in mind, in the first quarter when an iPhone comes out, and the iPhone 10, the margins tend to be a little bit lower as they start to ramp production work in some of the efficiencies. And so there is a little bit of a trade-off between the higher ASP and the lower yields and the profitability on the yields in that first quarter out of the gate. Got it. We'll check in with you a little bit later on, Gene. Thanks. Gene Munster of Loop. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm Loop? just focused on $269 billion of cash and, yeah. and, <laughs> and their ability now to really do things with this. And I'm not saying that they're going to be aggressive. They were very aggressive, you know, two and a half years ago when they started borrowing money and doing ways to, to kind of essentially bring it back. But I, I think that means there could be significant share buybacks. That could be very accretive to EPS, obviously. Yeah, the services is, is what everybody wanted to see or needed to see. You want to see this handoff between them, so it's happening. The only thing I would say about Tim Cook's comments, and I know it's just one or two different comments, though, he's talking about it, the, the biggest revenue ever from these iPhones. Remember, it's the most expensive iPhone ever as well. So, you know, you got to look beneath the surface here. You have to have this handoff between the iPhones 
and services. It appears that it's happening. That will be the story going forward. All right. Up next, Amazon surging after a big earnings beat. The stock hitting an all-time high after hours. We'll tell you what's got investors so excited right after this short break. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Amazon surging in the after-hour session. Deidre Bosa is in San Fran with more. Deidre. Hey, Melissa. Well, Amazon really reassured investors this quarter continues to spend big on new untested businesses while also showing some fiscal discipline and taking over a bigger slice of online shopping sales. In some cases, these newer units already adding to growth. CFO Brian Osofsky on the analyst call just now singling out cloud computing and its advertising business as strong contributors this quarter. Advertising was also a key contributor as we're continuing to make more value, the uh, offerings more valuable both to customers and advertisers alike. And that was particularly strong in North America. Uh, although not in the North America segment, I would also point out AWS had a strong quarter. Now, he was also asked where Amazon was focusing on spending money in 2018. He said the biggest effort in terms of investment will be in groceries and then it's B2B business. Guys, back to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Um, let's trade it here. Actually, well, let's go to Gene Munster here. We've got a Manning too. Yeah. Look at him. He's like working so hard. Phones. I mean, come on. All right. So what would you make of Amazon's quarter, Gene? What, what grade would you give it? Uh, it's an A minus. And keep in mind, the stock was up 34 percent in the last three months. Pulled off a little bit today before the print. But I think that this is all systems go for Amazon. One thing that they didn't say about spending money on is uh, purchasing Target. Still believe that that's in the cards. Hard to predict the timing of it, but still think that that's something that we're going to be talking about someday. They're talking, though, still about the need to integrate Whole Foods. Do you think they're ready for another acquisition already? Yeah, so the Whole Foods integration, they're kind of going at that slow. And so CMS running those stores independently. But Whole Foods doesn't give them the real punch that they need to really be impactful. Keep in mind, even though e-commerce is growing dramatically, we're still going to have a lot of brick and mortar offline. Still 45% of what we're going to buy in 5, 10, 20 years is going to be walking in. Amazon needs to flex the muscle on that front. So Whole Foods was just a starter. Just quickly, who's the king of tech in your cover, in your universe? Of this, king of, of tech, companies? longer yeah. term, it's Google. It's the oxygen of the Internet. And I think the, the, uh, the FANG stocks, with the exception of Netflix, I'm a believer in all those. Gene, it's been great having you here in studio for us on the Red Phone. Thank Gene you, Munster, Melissa. Luke Ventures. Uh, time for the final trade. And we should note, bottom of your screen there, Bitcoin below 9,000 right now. Tim Seymour, final I, trade. I think you have a big relief in Apple. Again, so much cash to put to work, and those numbers look fine. Apple. Uh, buy MasterCard here. I know Visa's week, but MasterCard, Cowan 2018 top payments pick of the year. Brian Kelly. Uh, you buy EA. The kids like the games, not the Barbies and the Fisher Prices. They like to play the video games. Three red phones. I mean, who can listen? To, I mean, some <laughs> not guys many unbelievable. People. He's old school. Brilliant. You know what else is brilliant? What? On what has been a dicey tape the last couple of days, Goldman Sachs has been going. Lower left, upper right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, check that. Did you get a haircut, around. by the way? Got them all cut. Yeah. Nice. Sweet. I'm yeah, Melissa Lee. Thanks so much you. for watching. See uh, you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. <laughs>
and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.